morning, church. Like Naomi mentioned, if you don't mind, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. And uh, I encourage you this morning to actually have a physical Bible. So most of you have those in front of you. Uh, If you have one, um, grab it. Upstairs, we have some on the tables in the corners. Uh, We're going to be spending a lot of time in this text this morning. So I think you might find it helpful to have a physical copy handy. So let's dive right in. We're starting in verse 21, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought... If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, teach us from your word this morning. Teach us what we should learn from Jesus this morning in the gospel of Mark. God, use me to communicate your truth effectively. God, keep me from error. God, and may we approach this time with open hearts to learn what you have for us today. Amen. 
So when I was in high school, I had uh, the honor to work at a detail shop of a Ford car dealership. And uh, this was owned by a man named Mr. Bob. Okay. So my job was to wash the cars, to clean them and make them shine before they were put on the lot to be sold. And uh, I was also responsible for making sure that the cars had a full tank of gas for the new owners. And most of the cars were nothing too exciting, you know, a lot of mid-sized sedans, we had a lot of pickup trucks, of course. But occasionally we would get in a Ford Mustang. <laughs> and then on very, very rare occasions we would get in a V8 Mustang GT. 400 horsepower of pure American muscle. Now, I usually didn't get to drive these cars because most of the time when they came in, they were already sold, and so they came in and they left very quickly, right? And now this particular Mustang GT, it was actually pretty clean, so there wasn't really much for me to do, but I realized something. This one wasn't yet sold, so today was my lucky day. And I look in the car and I see, okay, it's not, it's not dirty, it's not really much for me to do, but there's only three-quarters tank of gas. This needs to be topped off. So I grab the keys, I get in the car, rev the engine, and I'm off, going to the gas station. And I decided today I'm going to take the long way, okay? So taking the long way, and I just learned this really cool thing you can do with a stick shift car called a burnout. And uh, let's just say I was having a lot of fun on this long drive to the gas station. So when I finish my joyride, I pull back up to the dealership, grinning from ear to ear, just having the time of my life, right? So I headed back in, I look in my rearview mirror and I see someone walking up pretty quickly behind me. And as, as they get closer, I realize, that's Mr. Bob. And so I roll down the window of the Mustang GT that I had just taken on a joyride and I realize very quickly that the smell of burned rubber doesn't really wear off very quickly. Now, I don't remember everything that Mr. Bob said to me in that moment, but I was able to make out two words. You're fired. <laughs> now, at that moment, I realized that Mr. Bob had authority. Right? The Oxford Dictionary defines authority as a person or organization having power or control. Now, authority is a word that carries a lot of baggage in our culture today for many of us. Uh, our culture loves to hate authority oftentimes. And uh, the Pew Research polls uh, show recently that the public's view of positions of authority is at an all-time low. Now, we see many examples of authority being abused, and this leads us to question and fear. But we'll see that authority... In our text today, we'll see this, that authority rightly executed and exercised in love should lead to an environment of peace and freedom. See, up until this point in the Gospel of Mark, he's been trying to show us that Jesus is someone who has authority. He's been establishing a case, if you will, and this theme of authority is woven throughout the narrative. Look at, narrative. Look at Mark 1.22 says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Mark 1.27 says the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with 
authority. And Jesus himself says in Mark 2.10, he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority. So Mark is trying to show us something, right? He's trying to show us that Jesus is the one who has power. He is the one who is in control. But what does he have control of? Over what does he have power? See, as we take our passage today in context, we understand that we pick up in a three-part series where Mark has already been answering that question. He's already been showing throughout these stories different aspects of Jesus' authority. See, as Toby mentioned last week, Mark has just shown us that Jesus has authority over the natural and the supernatural. Right? In Mark 4, 35 to 41, Jesus exercises authority over the natural or over nature by calming the storm. He has authority over the physical realm around us, but outside our bodies, right? He's established that. And then in Mark 5, 1 through 20, Jesus exercises authority over the supernatural by healing the demon-possessed man. He has authority over the spiritual realm that is unseen, but is very much at work in our lives. And now today we arrive at the final act in this series of establishing Jesus' authority. So let's, let's dive in. I have three points for us today. We'll look at authority acknowledged, and then authority abridged, and then authority aligned. Yes, I had a lot of fun coming up with that. So, so first, authority acknowledged. So as we know, Mark has already established that Jesus has authority over the natural realm. He has authority over the spiritual realm. And now as we get to Mark 5.21, he wants to firmly establish this declaration of ultimate authority of Jesus. Mark begins by bringing Jairus into the picture, a synagogue leader whose daughter is dying. So let's pick up in verse 22 here. It says, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. See, see notice this. She is dying. She's not yet dead, okay? When Jairus asked for Jesus to come help heal her, the text, it, it very matter-of-factly says, so Jesus went with him, right? Nothing too serious about this, no questioning Jairus, no asking for additional facts, gathering more information, no big teaching moment. Jesus just went with him. See, the assumption is that, of course, Jesus can heal her. No big deal. He's healed many people so far in Mark's gospel. This is nothing new. In fact, as he is on his way to heal the dying girl, he is approached by another ailing individual. Let's look at verse 25. It says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. A woman who had been dealing with a bleeding disorder for 12 years, she is instantly healed when she touches Jesus' clothes. But 
of course. This is what Jesus does. He heals people. Mark has already established that. See, he's driving the point home that Jesus has authority over the living. He has authority over our physical bodies while we are alive. But something shifts in the story when the news come that, comes that Jairus' daughter is no longer dying, she is dead. Look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? See, the crowd interrupts Jesus while he is still speaking and says to Jairus, don't bother him anymore. He can't help us now, your daughter is dead. See, the assumption is that Jesus has power over those who are living, but his authority stops there. They believe that his authority that he has shown so far is limited to this life. See, up until this point in Mark, we've already seen Jesus cleanse a leper in chapter 1, verses 40 to 43. He has also healed a paralytic in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So the idea that he can heal someone who has a, a serious physical disability is not new. The fact that the woman could be healed of her disease is not a new idea, but what Mark is trying to teach us by including this woman's story with Jairus' daughter's story is something different. So what is he trying to teach us? Why are these two stories told together? What's different this time? See, Mark links these two stories together to teach us an important lesson about the authority of Jesus. Watch how he does this. He calls the woman daughter in verse 34, which links her story with the story of Jairus' daughter. Right? He calls the woman daughter. In verse 25, we learn that the woman's bleeding had been ongoing for 12 years. And in verse 42, we see that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. These two stories are meant to be taken together. They're connected in some way for a reason. Now, we're going to get to what that reason is, but first I want to take a moment to pay attention to another important theme that's been at play in the book of Mark so far. It's been woven through these stories, and this brings me to my next point, authority abridged. To abridge something is to cut something short, right? And intimately connected with the idea of Jesus' authority in this section of Mark is the idea of fear. After Jesus calmed a storm in chapter 4, Mark tells us they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. After Jesus restores the demon-possessed man earlier in chapter 5, we read, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. After Jesus heals the woman, we read, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, 
and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. See, each time, it was after Jesus performed a miracle that they were afraid. There was already an acknowledgement of Jesus' authority and an immediate response of fear. Their fear was brought on by thinking, if he has the power to do this, what else might he do? See, if we acknowledge that Jesus has ultimate authority over nature, over supernatural, over our lives, it begs the question, what is he going to do with this authority? See, if we understand ourselves in light of someone with such authority, we will say, along with Isaiah, woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, an appropriate response to ultimate authority is fear. Now, we do not often talk about hell, right? But the uncomfortable truth is that Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. He spoke in very vivid terms about hell. Jesus himself says this. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, in Genesis chapter 3, we learn that the order of God originally created for human beings had been broken by sin. And now this sin would reign in each person who lived on earth from that time on, and this sin prevents us from being with God. Because of our sin, we cannot come into the presence of God. We read this in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short. We are unable to stand in the presence of a God who holds ultimate authority. Now let me say this. If you do not follow Jesus, you have a very real reason to have fear. But this story is not over. If this is where our understanding of Jesus' authority ends, we do have much to fear. But the story is not over. Mark does not allow us to abridge our understanding of Jesus' authority in this way. He does not allow us to stop short of a full understanding of his authority. The story is not over here. Let's go back to our question. How are these two stories in our text today connected? Let's pick back up in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came to the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. 
See, when the crowd told Jairus to leave Jesus alone, Jesus says something astonishing to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. This could also be translated, don't be afraid, just keep believing. Just keep believing. Stay tuned, Jesus says, right? He is about to show us something. See, when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, this is Mark showing us that the authority of Jesus does not end when life ends, It is not constrained. It is not limited. His authority does not just cover our physical existence prior to death. His authority extends beyond the grave. He has authority not just over the living, but he has authority over the living and the dead. He has authority over death itself. Mark is linking these two stories to make it clear that we cannot say that Jesus has authority over our life, but he is powerless beyond the grave. And in the same way, we cannot say that Jesus has authority beyond the grave, but he's powerless in this life. See, he has ultimate authority over life and death. They're interconnected. When we are talking about Jesus, you cannot have one without the other. As Jesus himself later says in Matthew 28, 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, why is it so important that Jesus has authority not just over the living, but also the dead? Why is this point of ultimate authority so important for Mark to convey here? When Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, we are meant to see this as foreshadowing the day that is to come a few chapters later where we will learn that Jesus will overcome the grave once and for all by his death and resurrection, right? Romans 14 says this, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living, Mark is foreshadowing the cross when Jesus will ultimately conquer death forever for all who will believe in him. Jesus will create a way for all people to come back into relationship with God. The doors of heaven will be open again for all who would only believe in Jesus. As it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Through this story of resurrection, Mark is alluding to the very foundation upon which our faith is built, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul expands on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians. He says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. 
See, if our hope ends when this life ends, what hope do we have? But we serve a God who has conquered death, and he offers hope beyond the grave. Because of the cross of Christ, if we believe in Jesus, hell is not our fate. We have eternity with Jesus ahead of us. The Heidelberg Catechism was written in the 1500s, and it's a series of questions and answers that were developed to teach essential truths of the Christian faith. And the very first question is this. What is your only hope in life and death? And the answer says that I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Truly, our only hope is in the ultimate authority of Jesus, that we belong to him who is truly in control. See, we cannot stop short of an understanding of Jesus' authority. We must understand it fully. We must follow the story through to understand how does Jesus use his authority. See, Jesus does not abuse his authority. Rather, he lovingly uses his authority to lay down his life that we may have life. He uses his authority to show the world the greatest act of love ever seen. It says in John 15, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus ultimately uses his authority not to incite fear, but to display Love. We learn in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. See, because of the cross, there is no longer punishment for those who believe in Christ. Jesus took the punishment, and there is no longer punishment. For us, His act of perfect love is meant to drive out all fear. See, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that when Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, this is something that's actually possible. And this, this brings me to my final point, authority aligned. See, when we align ourselves with a proper understanding of Jesus' ultimate authority, Scripture teaches that we have no need to fear. We do not have an authoritarian ruler who seeks to punish, but rather we have an all-powerful God who desires to show you love. Let's look back at the woman. The woman in the story, she was afraid But as she was trembling at the feet of Jesus, he looked at her lovingly and calls her daughter. Verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He calls her daughter. This is a word that signifies family, care, love, These are feelings that this woman has likely not felt for over 12 years. See, she is expecting a harsh response 
from Jesus. She's trembling at his feet, but he uses his authority to show her love. See, authority properly aligned and in its rightful place in our understanding creates an atmosphere, not of fear, but as we see here, creates an atmosphere of peace, of freedom. Go in peace, Jesus says. Be freed from your suffering. Remember when the crowd told Jairus that his daughter was dead, Jesus says, don't be afraid. I love how the message translates this. It says, don't listen to them. Just trust me. The crowd was telling Jairus that Jesus didn't have authority here. This was out of his control, beyond his scope. This was above his pay grade, right? Do you have people like that in your life? Naysayers, fear mongers, maybe people who tell you that your faith is meaningless? See, Jairus had these people in his ear, and Jesus lovingly speaks to him. He says, don't be afraid. Don't listen to them. Just believe. Just trust me. See, Scripture teaches that when we believe in Jesus, he gives us something in return. Right? He gives us the Holy Spirit. As it says in 2 Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, self-control. Not of fear, but of power, authority, right? Of love, love that casts out fear, and of self-control. See, we can choose not to fear by the power of the Spirit. Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. He would not have told him to do something that he cannot do. Jairus had a choice, He could have chosen to live into the fear in that moment, or he could have chosen not to fear by having faith in Jesus. See, I agree with the the fresh prince, Will Smith, when he says, danger is very real, but fear is a choice. One of my favorite quotes on fear is by Zig Ziglar. He says, fear is this. It's false evidence appearing real. See, fear often creeps in when we believe something false about who Jesus is. When we believe that there is a limit to his authority. When we believe that he is not all-powerful. When we believe that there is something in our life that is outside of his loving control, when we are out of alignment with him, when the truth is here, but we're over here. See, when we know the truth, when we are in alignment with Jesus and we rightfully understand his position is holding all authority in heaven and earth, when we understand that he uses this authority to show us perfect love, we have nothing to fear. Psychiatrist Gerald Jampolsky says this about fear. He says, fear and love can never be experienced at the same time. 
It is always our choice as to which of these emotions we want. See, Jairus' daughter was dying, and now she's dead. He had every right to be afraid, but Jesus redirects his focus. He very simply says, don't focus on them. Focus on me. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, anxiety or fear does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. See, when we are out of alignment, when we drift towards fear, and when we are gripped with fear, it empties us of our strength. We need to stay aligned to keep the ultimate authority of Jesus in proper perspective. All right, so how do we do this? So a few practicals. Naomi mentioned earlier about our church's rule of life. So this is something that we have established as a body to pursue unity and maturity as followers of Jesus, and we're keeping this shared rule of life. It's a set of spiritual practices that helps us stay aligned with Jesus. So I encourage you to read more about this. You can go to realitysf.com rule, see more of the details. You're going to be hearing a lot more about this as we move forward this year. How else can we stay aligned with Jesus? Well... One of the most important ways for us to stay aligned with Jesus is to learn more of who he is. And we learn that through his word, right? So today, you came on a very good Sunday because we have Bread 2022. This is amazing. I I encourage you to pick this up. This is a reading plan that will help walk you through a daily scripture reading through this entire year that will allow you to understand Jesus more intimately. So I encourage you to pick that up. If you're here in person, you can pick one up at the info table. If you're watching online, you can go to our website and download the digital version. What else? Prayer. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not fear. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, remember? Peace is what we feel when we have authority and perspective. His peace will transcend all understanding. You might not understand it, but you'll feel peace, and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we come before God in prayer, he is in his rightful position of ultimate authority. And we feel his peace that transcends all understanding. So let me offer this. If you feel out of alignment with Jesus, something just feels off. Maybe it's been for some time. Maybe it's just recently happened. Maybe you haven't quite put your finger on it. Maybe you've been seriously rattled by these last couple of years. See, getting back into alignment starts with acknowledging Jesus' authority. So shortly the band will come back up and we'll enter into a time of response. And I want to invite you, if you feel out of alignment, I want to invite you to follow the example of the woman in Jairus. 
Let's look back at verse 22. It says, Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And in verse 33, we see, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. See, we have the carpets in front here to welcome a different posture as we worship God. We don't always do this, and some people come down, but I want to encourage you today, one of the quickest ways to acknowledge the authority of Jesus is to do as the woman and Jairus did. Take a posture, change your posture, and fall at the feet of Jesus. So I want to invite you, if you're feeling out of alignment, come down to the carpets this morning, fall at Jesus' feet, acknowledge his authority. I also want to say maybe you're somebody different. Maybe you're in a different camp. Maybe you haven't yet acknowledged the authority of Jesus in your life. Maybe you don't yet know Jesus, but maybe this morning you feel some type of prompting to acknowledge his authority. I want to invite you to do the same. Come, fall at the feet of Jesus. Submit yourself to the God of ultimate authority who welcomes you with open arms, who calls you daughter and son. See, as we saw in the story this morning, it does not matter if you are a poor, disabled woman who is ostracized from society or if you are a high-profile member of the social elite. It does not matter where you come from. All that matters is who you come to. See, all are welcome before Jesus. Come and fall at his feet and feel his love this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ultimate authority of life and death and knowing that that is in the hands of Jesus, our loving Lord. And we not lose sight of this truth. Encourage us with your love this morning. Amen.